Hello, my name is Emily Jansen, and this is the Leadership is Female podcast. I am a female leader in the professional sports industry, and my front office resume includes titles like General Manager, Vice President of Corporate Partnerships, and Director of Sales. Did you know that less than 25% of leadership roles in the sports and entertainment industry are held by women? We've got work to do. Why? Because companies with gender and or culturally diverse executive teams were 21% to 35% more likely to outperform the competition. Simply put, diverse leadership helps your bottom line. The Leadership is Female podcast is here to help. Marian Wright Edelman said, you can't be what you can't see. So I am here as your host to create visibility by interviewing successful women who work in sports to uncover opportunities and teach you the tips and the mindset that will get you to the top faster. I believe there's enough room at the table for all of us. Take your seat and join me week after week, season after season, as we reach back to extend a hand to pull you forward. We will lead you forward because leadership is female. Hey leaders, let me be blunt. Sometimes in order to level up, you've got to get a new job. Because of this awesome community we have created here for engaged sports professionals and leaders in adjacent industries, opportunities are floating to this community. Do you want to hear about them? I want to share these new opportunities with you. Recently, I've included listings of available jobs in our newsletter and will continue to do so. If you aren't on that newsletter list, you can add your email at leadershipisfemale.com. And if you are hiring, email me at my personal email, emilyjansen at gmail.com, so that I can share your open role. If we want to continue to add diverse, talented leaders to our businesses, we have to look for new ways to recruit this diverse talent. 80% of our listeners on the Leadership is Female podcast are women. Find your next great hire here. Let's go. Today, we welcome Melanie Caesar, Senior Director, Group Sales and Membership Development at the Cleveland Cavaliers in an interview or maybe a class on sales leadership. Melanie began her career at the National Sales Center and MLS to season ticket and corporate account executive for the Columbus crew, to manager, National Sales Center with MLS, to director of season ticket sales with Minnesota United FC, and then made the jump to the NBA to work for the Cleveland Cavaliers. To describe Melanie's leadership is to ask the audience. Here's what one colleague had to say about Melanie. Melanie Caesar is an absolute professional and pioneer. Having worked with her on projects and received training from her in MLS, I can attest to her following attributes. Savvy sales background coaching prowess, an eye and desire to improve processes, willingness to contribute in ways outside her job description, fascination to learn, integrity, and personable. I know after an hour with her that all of these things are true, and I cannot wait to hear her story with you. So today, she's sharing her background and taking us to school. Without further ado, Melanie Caesar. Let's go. Welcome to the Leadership is Female podcast, Melanie Sizer, Senior Director, Group Sales and Membership Development at the Cleveland Cavaliers. Hi, so good to be here. Great to have you. I want you to introduce yourself. So who you are and what you do, can you tell us? Absolutely. So you already rattled off my my long title, Um, but what that encompasses is I, I have the privilege of overseeing our membership development team. And that is the team that oversees our season ticket base, our group sales team, who oversee obviously all of our group sales and then hospitality here at Rock and Mortgage Fieldhouse. And then underneath that as well as our youth sports team, 
which has really become a, a whole um, unexpected adventure that I've had the opportunity to take on over the last year and a half. All right. Well, I've got a whole bunch of questions lined up for you today, but I did not know about the youth sports team. So tell me about that. Tell us about that. Absolutely. Yeah, that's That's been probably the most pleasant su surprise of my time here with the Cavs. Um, I think every, every sports team has some version of youth sports or youth activation built into their group sales initiatives. Um, we take it about 12 steps further. So we have a really robust youth sports team. There's eight members on our team, um, three who really oversee the operations and day-to-day -day programming. And, and we call them coaches, but they're all so much more than that. Um, and then we have really, she, she started out as a coordinator and, and quickly was promoted to a manager. She's um, the glue that holds the department together. She's literally the jack of all trades. And then we have a, a three members of our development team who oversee all of our sales and development and getting new, new people into our ecosystem. So um, I could talk about youth sports probably this, this whole interview, but we have three different divisions that we predominantly focus on. Uh, the first is called Junior Caps, and those are our community partnerships. So I think your local YMCA or rec, Parks and Rec, we try to make their experience better for all their young athletes. I mean, that's really where most kids get their first taste of organized sport. We want to make sure that they have the best experience possible, stay, grow, and hopefully grow out of our Junior Caps program and into more competitive leagues. Um, we also run our own in-house camps and clinics. That's our Cavs Academy arm. Uh, that includes what we call Cavalittles, which is the most adorable thing in the world, three to six-year-olds who barely can hold a, a basketball because um, they're so tiny. And we try to teach them just the fundamentals and, and a lot of fun around just getting out on the basketball court with their peers. Um, and then our Cavs Elite Series. So that's our high school basketball most commonly known as court of dreams in, in the NBA. They come play at the field house, they get to come out to a game, but we also activate a lot within the schools there. So try to take it beyond just a group ticket purchase, do panels, work with the coaches, try to strengthen overall youth basketball from age three all the way up through high school, through the state of Ohio. And then we also reach into Western Pennsylvania and Western New York. So it's, it's one of the coolest parts of my job, the most rewarding, um, certainly the smallest chunk of revenue out of the things that I oversee. But as, as I'm sure you would agree, it's not all about the numbers, even when you're in a revenue generating area and in sales department. Yeah. Well, and most importantly, it's about growing the game and growing cast fans for life. Right. Absolutely. That's, that's really what it started out as fan development. Get them in young. Absolutely. So your day-to-day season-to-season role um, as, let's do it again, Senior Director, Group Sales and Membership <laughs> Development at the Cleveland Cavaliers, uh, overseeing group sales, overseeing seeing ticket sales. Coming out of last year, what's been the biggest uh, area for, for growth or area for focus for you and your team? Um, that's a great question, as we all know what the last year has looked like. I think the, the most important thing was to, to stick together, to all rally around the same thing, whatever that might be, even when the same thing might be a lot of things, um, and really just stay focused on where our feet are. We have no idea. We still have no idea what tomorrow is going to look like, what next week will look like, what the opening week for the NBA season is going to look like. 
And to try to think too far ahead right now would, would just, you know, would rob us of everything that we have today, which is the answers that we have in front of us. So um, we, we worked remote. We were one of the first teams to start working from home. It was early March and we had to figure out, nobody knew how to use Zoom or Teams is what we, we predominantly use. Um, but I think uh, our, from the top down, we did an incredible job of staying connected. So there was never a day where we didn't talk to our team leads, other departments, everybody on our team, and just staying connected, even if we weren't talking about work, was was extremely important to, to help just keep everybody afloat, right? I mean, going from the middle of the season, busiest run of games of the entire season in early March, and then we just slammed on the brakes and we were all like floating around in, in space with no idea where we were at. Um, and so I think that was that was probably the most important thing and remains the most important thing is whatever task is in front of us is there now, might be there tomorrow, we might've moved on to the next project, but making sure our people are in a good place that we all feel motivated and um, you know, really ultimately feel like we're in this together, which, which we, I think we all truly do is extremely important. Yeah, great pieces of advice there. Be where your feet are is such a, a powerful statement and if you really think about that, like what are you focused on at the moment and how can you do that one thing to make that, that longer term impact? But Melanie, let's go back a little bit. Before you landed this role with the Cavs, you worked your way up the sales chain in Major League Soccer. What are some of the biggest lessons you learned about sales during that journey? Well, I definitely learned how to sell selling soccer. Um, you know, despite the popularity of the sport internationally and here in the United States, it's still a young league. When you look at MLS in comparison to all the other major leagues in our nation, um, when I was selling for the Columbus crew, that's where I got my, my start, got my feet wet. Uh, I'd say 50% of the companies that I was cold calling, I'd say I'm calling with the Columbus crew and they'd say the who? And I would have to explain we're the major league soccer team. And, and the crew were the first team in MLS, the first soccer specific stadium in the entire country, extremely historic, historic franchise. And um, most companies had no idea they were right there in their backyard. So it was, it was very different than the sales process here where you don't really have to explain who the Cavs are to people in Cleveland. I think, I think if you don't know, then you've definitely been under a rock for the last 51 years. It was an education process explaining what MLS stood for, why they should be interested in doing business with us, just because they may not be interested in the sport, why the sport could be advantageous to help them grow their business or just accomplish some of the things they wanted to. Um, I played soccer growing up, so that was what got me into it. And I was extremely passionate and bullish about it. So I think that's, that also helped. But you learn a lot about selling when you're trying to sell a product that someone doesn't think they need. Um, certainly never budgeted for, and 90% of the time we're like, I don't even know what you're talking about. Um, so you had to educate, you had to ask the right questions, and then you had to obviously get them to that point where they felt like it was the right investment for them. And so it was, it was tough, um, but it certainly, certainly taught me a lot. Yeah. I was going to ask how much you needed to focus on growing the game in those conversations and, you know, in your perspective now, um, in your current role, looking back, what, 9, 10, 11 years, how far have we come and how much farther do we need to go uh, with, with soccer in the U.S.? 
So that's a great question because I think obviously it's it's grown exponentially um, even since you know when I played when I was seven eight years old my parents their friends none of them played soccer right so we were really kind of that first generation that grew up playing the sport and now every kid plays soccer uh, but there actually was a, a slight decline in youth numbers I want to say from like 2015 to 2018, I think, saw the steepest decline. It was over 10%. And I remember that being very troubling when I was still in MLS, because if there was one thing that really told our story, it was the growing youth numbers. Um, youth sports as a whole has been on the decline, which is why I'm so passionate about that area of what I do now. Um, clearly, I, I don't work in sports for any reason other than sports are important to everything um, in society. And we could sit here and talk about that for hours, I'm sure. So... I think with, with soccer, there's such a long way to go for Major League Soccer to continue to establish itself, though the league has proven time and time again to, to be in a very stable situation. Um, I think sports as a whole, though, there's, there's a long way to go still to keep people coming into our stadiums and our arenas and field houses and making sure that live events and live sports return as strong as they once did. And then also keeping kids in sports to ensure that that grows that next generation of people who want to actually invest in our teams. Yeah, hundred percent. I think you and I share in common being uh, growing up playing soccer and obviously being passionate about youth sports, growing that fan base. Um, but, but what sports can can do for a person when you participate as a, as a child. I know our listeners share those, those sentiments as well. And, um, and yeah, the, the rebirth sort of after this crazy 18 months we've been experiencing, who knows if we're at the end of it, but like coming back from watching sports from home, thank goodness we were able to return in some capacity last year, but not in the way where we all gathered together. And I can tell you in baseball, the rebound has been incredible. Um, we've, we've felt like we were missed as much as we hoped that we were missed. And that has been reflected in ticket sales across the industry. Um, so we're definitely cheering for the NBA and you know, you guys are such pros. There's, there's no doubt that fans are going to come out in droves. We're ready for it. Yes. I knew you, you had would. to get back. I knew you would be. And Another thing about you is you're known as a great sales coach in the industry. So I'm going to ask you to drop some training on us. My favorite number is four and it was my basket. The reason it is, is because in middle school, it was my randomly assigned basketball number. And then it traveled with me through soccer. So what are four of the keys to being a successful salesperson in sports? Four. So there are two, which happens to be my favorite number for the same reason, um, that always come to mind, but I can easily give you a four. So the, the first two that I say are the most important, if you know nothing else of sales and you just want the, the most basic keys to success in sales, the first one would be to listen more than you talk. Most in sales know that the second you get into a sales career, you learn that it has nothing to do with, with what you thought it did. Most people... Um, like when I was interviewing for entry-level roles, I always heard, well, I could talk to a brick wall. So I'm sure I'd be great at sales. And it's like, actually, you're going to be horrible if that's how you approach it. You need to listen, be the brick wall, absorb everything, actively listen. Um, that's another one is 
asking all of the open-ended questions that you can and actively listening. Because if you're not, um, you're not gonna get those tidbit, tidbits of information that first help you decide what your recommendation is going to be for them to buy. And then two, carve up a, a rebuttal if you need to. So if they say, I can't do it at this point in time, you can use that urgency um, and handle whatever objections they hand, hand your way, which is probably the hardest part of being a salesperson is that pushback. Um, so those, the, did I give you two? Active listening, ask open-ended questions. Those are my two. Yes. Um, and then I, I think the other one is to remember that you are a human being talking to another human being. So when I did sales training, and we still do, we'll give a script or a blueprint. This is how you should try to follow the conversation to get from point A to point B. But ultimately, everything that happens in between point A and point B is going to be determined by who you're talking to. And every single conversation is going to be different. And the second that you turn into that robot, just asking the same questions over and over and not following the conversation, you're going to lose them. People just want to feel heard. They want to feel connected. And even if they're not the right prospect, if you can make their day a little bit better, you're going to feel better when you hang up the phone. Um, and so remembering you're talking to another human being. And then I'd say that's that's like 3A and 3B would be... Um, don't get too caught up in your script or where you think the conversation needs to go. And that's typically what you hear the most people early on is they just feel like they need to get here. And so they keep pushing to get to that point and they lose the other person on the other end of the line. So, I mean, it's, it's a dialogue. That's all it is. And you have to be a good listener. You have to be inquisitive. You have to be curious. And if you're none of those things, then you have to fake it even if you're just out for your own pocketbook, which is a fine quality as well if you're into sales. Um, but if you can't show empathy and, and interest in another human being, you're going to struggle. I don't know if that was four. Yeah. Well, might have been two. It might have been 18. I'm not sure. <laughs> <laughs> All great, great, great tips. And it remind, reminded me, I started my career with the Chicago Bulls in the NBA in ticket sales, tickets and groups. And I remembered when you said, don't get too caught up in your script and where the conversation needs to go. I could almost picture the black and white papers, you know, taped inside my cube, like, okay, we got to get to this next level. We get, so I can get to close, like yep, yep. trying to move down the conversation through this script so we can get to where we're going. And it wasn't until later in my career um, in corporate partnerships where I felt I had the opportunity to have a more investigative conversation and a more curious conversation with the person I was meeting with. So how does uh, one sort of bridge, bridge that gap from script to curiosity? So I, I, I think the toughest part of becoming a salesperson. You know, we always talk about when somebody starts out in sales, there's always that point where things just click for them. And that clicking point always seems to be when they can take the science of a sales call, which would be that script or blueprint, and meld it with the art, which is your personality. So you put the science and the art together, which is really the bridge that we're talking about. And that's when things start to get good. And the only way you can get to that point is practice, it's reps. It's, we used to always use the analogy of like a batting cage or practicing your golf swing. Um, it's muscle memory. You also 
have to be very open to changing that blueprint or at least setting it to the side um, and following the conversation where it goes because that's that's going to get you there eventually. So a, an analogy I always use, so elementary, but think of the trunk of a tree. Those are your basic questions, the black and white script hanging in your cube. You knew you had to ask those if you wanted to get to the point where you could fumble your way through asking for a sale, right? Because you asked enough questions, you asked how many games they wanted to come out to and how many people and all the basic stuff. Where you're going to miss the mark is if you don't follow the little branches that come off the trunk. So how many people do you usually come out to the game with? Four. Our natural sense is to move right on to that next question and say, instead of saying, tell me about the four people that you usually come out with. Is it the same four? Or, you know, how often do you come out with, with different people? You might find that it's a family tradition, or you might find that they just buy four tickets and they beg whoever they can. And then there's a bunch of little branches that come off of those answers. And then you just eventually walk back down the branch and you go back to the trunk and you start all over again. So um, I think that's that's more important than anything is just hearing what people are saying and reacting to it and then following up with more curiosity. It's only going to make you better at sales and a better person. It just makes you a better human being when you're that inquisitive. Yeah, that that question tree. Like it's not the one question and then the next. It's another question about the question that you asked. So I think that's a great visual thinking about, about the tree, moving up the tree, exploring the branches, getting back to the trunk, which is eventually going to lead you to your clothes. No wonder why you're such a great sales trainer. <laughs> <laughs> that's so, that's so awesome. Can you tell me about your best sale? What's your best sale you've ever made? Oh man. You know, I've had some really fun ones over the years. I think my best one, truth be told, was the first one I ever had because I kept pushing myself to do what I was not comfortable to do, which is everything I just described, asking questions, following the conversation. And I remember I was just trying to sell like a little four pack of family four pack of tickets to a game for this for the Houston Dynamo. And it was when I was in the sales training program with Major League Soccer. So we were calling on behalf of all these different teams um, from Minnesota. And so I, I still have never stepped foot in Houston. I've still never been to a Houston Dynamo game. And we had like, this was when they, they didn't even have their own stadium. They're up in like the 500 level corner or like sell these four tickets. So talking to this dad who has a son who loves soccer, huge, huge U.S. men's national team and Landon Donovan fan. So this was during the... Um, right around the 2010 World Cup. And I just keep asking questions and, and he just, I start to explain the package and he cuts me off and he's like, okay, what do you need a credit card or what? And I was like, oh my God, uh, yeah. You know, I was just so shocked that he got there. And it was after that, I was like, oh, okay. So that's why they're telling us to do it this way. It actually works. So first sale, not, not my uh, highest dollar, probably the most, if I listened to the call now, I'd be mortified at how bad I, I fumbled my way through it. Um, but it was that moment of continuing to ask questions that I felt so uncomfortable asking. And I just wanted to rush off the phone and ask for the credit card. And then he got himself there and asked if I needed the credit card instead. I love that story. And I love that you remember that from 11 years ago. Like that's, that's awesome. That's, uh, that's a great, great salesperson right there. And somebody passionate about the game for sure. Um, 
in getting to, to know you a little bit, I learned that you are also, or have been a fitness instructor. That's part of my past too. I no longer teach fitness, but uh, it's still really important to me and uh, part of almost every day. So got to ask you about your, your proverbial side hustle. So why do you teach? How do you fit it in? And how does fitness benefit your corporate career? Yeah. So um, I do still teach. I love it. I, I teach at two different gyms here, um, but I started when I lived in Minneapolis. So I mentioned I played soccer for, for years. I found after I, I decided to hang up my cleats and flip to the business side of things, like my workouts were going and forcing myself on a treadmill or an elliptical, and I just hated working out, but I'd always been physically active. I hate running, you know, all the things that you kind of go out and do on your own. I just, it was like torture instead of a reward or enjoyable. Um, and I actually started going to some group fitness classes when I still lived in Columbus. And that was a game changer for me, just being there. For one, you're basically locked in a room with other people for 60 minutes. So you can't leave. You'll look like a jerk if you leave halfway through class. So it forced me to go all the way through the, the whole workout. Um, and it's a lot of, of what you experience with team sports. You get the energy of the people around you and they don't even realize it, but they're motivating you with how hard they're working. And you look over and you're like, oh, she's beating me. I got to work a little harder. Um, and so I, I found a great gym when I moved to Minneapolis that, that had all group classes and after I went there for about two years as, as a member, I talked to the owner one day, just asked her how she got into owning a gym. And we started to go down the path of being a fitness instructor. And she's like, why don't you get certified? I was like, why don't I get certified? That sounds great. Um, and so I did. And so now I teach multiple formats. Um, I've been doing it now for five years, I want to say. Um, it is my, it's my thing. I feel like it, when you work in an industry like this, uh, you have to have something else or you will get chewed up and spit right back out. Um, and so this is my thing that keeps me mentally and physically challenged outside of this job. When I'm in the studio for an hour teaching class, everyone there has gone through the challenge of showing up and either getting out of bed in the morning or dragging themselves in after work or getting up on a Saturday or Sunday morning, whatever it is, it's never easy. It's very easy to talk yourself out. And so I owe it to them to shut my brain down and just focus on, on helping them get the best workout that they can. And so that allows me 60 minutes where I'm not allowed to think about whatever happened at the calves or will happen at the calves, right? It, it's my, it's my thing that gets me out of it. Um, so I, I just love it. It's uh, it's definitely a passion. It's it's definitely um, one of the more rewarding things I've I've ever done, and I would say it's it's helped me at the time when I started teaching was when I was doing a lot of presenting and training, and so when you stand up in front of a room and in, in uh, skin tight clothes and have to basically motivate people while you yourself are sweating, that really humbles you, um, and so it allowed me to get over myself pretty quickly. Um, and learn to just kind of take things as they go and have a lot of fun with it. So I think ultimately maybe a better presenter and um, better public speaking as well. Yeah, um, well, that's awesome. And I love that that you still teach and you've taught for so many years and it's clear to see how that positively impacts the work that you're doing in the industry and now for the CAPS. Do you encourage your staff to have a thing? I do. That's something I almost always talk about with, with new inside sales classes when they start is they'll ask a piece of advice and I'll say, just make sure you don't lose yourself in this. 
And that's sometimes a tough piece of advice to give to young kids out of school because there's the other half of me that looks at how much I worked early on. And I'm like, I want you to work 12 hour days like I did. Um, but I also know that burnout is a very real thing. And most of them are 22, 23 years old. This is their first job. They're straight out of school and they're just trying to figure out how to live on their own, right? And so part of that is taking care of yourself. And if you do that from the get-go and you set the right habits, whether that is taking care of your physical fitness, eating well, getting enough sleep, managing your stress, you shouldn't ever get to that point where you're like, I really need better work-life balance because you will have already figured that out, right? This is a, this is a lifestyle. This isn't just a job. This is a lifestyle that you have to commit yourself to. Um, and I think finding those things outside of the office that bring you joy are really important. You guys, we have a new website, leadershipisfemale.com. Please visit us and know that we are here to help get you to the top faster. Are you a career female looking for an edge? Are you looking for answers on how you can level up? Our purpose is to bring interviews with female leaders in sports each week through this podcast, Leadership is Female, so you can uncover opportunities, hear tips to elevate your career, learn from our mistakes and successes so that you can get to the top faster. We're giving you all the advice we know now that we wish we knew then. We're extending a hand back to lead you forward. Let's go. Visit leadershipisfemale.com. Join our newsletter. Check out all the episodes of the podcast and stay tuned for more resources to lead you forward. Leadershipisfemale.com. Throughout this season of Leadership is Female, I've talked with several founders of the Pro Sports Assembly. I'm glad to become a founder too and invite you to join us at prosportsassembly.com. We are the association for people who work in professional sports. Our core purpose is the advancement of diverse and inclusive leadership. From finance to innovation, operations and sales to social responsibility, marketing, human resources and analytics, the assembly aims to ensure pro sports has a diverse and talented pipeline to lead these efforts and more. Visit prosportsassembly.com to learn more. Yeah, I, I totally agree. And what a great uh, leader they've got that's telling them that from the jump. Like, have, have your thing, have, your, have something else that can take your mind away uh, from the business and help you to recharge. And um, I think it's, it's something that some people struggle to do. Some people find it naturally. Um, have you ever had to give advice to somebody when they've said like, I don't have anything else, you know, what, what else should I be doing? Or do you have any tips for me on how to find an, something else to do besides just committing myself to this job 24 seven? Yeah. I mean, I think the, the most important thing is to, to get out and try things, especially when you're new in your career. It's like the first couple months living in a dorm on a college campus where all of a sudden you have to, you're responsible for doing laundry and getting yourself to the dining hall class on time and no one's there to tell you what to do. And you're 18 years old and you have no idea. It's like, it's like how we all thought at the beginning of the pandemic, you're floating around and you're like, 
what is this life? And then by the end of, of that, you're like, I am such an adult. I'm ready to go out into the real world. And then we get out in the real world and we realize hmm, this chapter of life is difficult as well. If you don't go out and try things, you're not going to know what fits into this new part of your life. So, you know, group fitness was never a thing I did. And, and then in Columbus, I just actually had a friend who asked me to go to a bar class with her. And I'm like, I played soccer girl. Like I do workouts that make me want to throw up and sweat profusely. I'm not doing something in a ballet bar. And it was the hardest thing I'd ever done. And actually, because it was so hard, I remember walking out of there and I was like, wow, I didn't think about anything, but not falling on my face that entire 60 minutes. That was such a nice mental break that I had no idea I needed. And all of a sudden I became addicted to group fitness. So, um, the benefit of trying new things that you might not find to be your thing will still introduce you to new people. And if you're in sales, that's the most important and invaluable thing you can do, right? So just getting out there when you're, whether you're from the area or you're in a brand new market starting your career, experiencing new things and meeting new people is paramount to not only your own personal happiness, but also just building your personal network. You never know. That's the best and worst part of ticket sales. Everybody is a prospect. That's so true. So true. And I will um, back you up. That was my experience in my first bar class. 100%. Like so hard. <laughs> movement be so difficult when I used to run for 90 minutes in a soccer match. Right. Um, it could get slammed into you and thrown onto hard ground, but I couldn't like balance on my tiptoes for three seconds. Like just crazy. No. So if you haven't tried it, you know, check out your local bar studio. <laughs> challenge in, in your life. Um, so Melanie, what's been the biggest hurdle in your career? You know, I, I've thought about this quite often because I think everybody runs into hurdles. I feel like I'm pretty fortunate and that I've never, there's like nothing huge that ever stood in my way. Um, I've had a incredibly fulfilling, fun, difficult career. But if I had to say what's the biggest hurdle, I would say myself, um, overthinking, sometimes needing to restart my own ignition, right? Like just get refocused on what I'm doing. Um, though this is a, it, you know, anytime anyone says, what's a typical day? Of course, every day is different, but some days also are very much the same, or I have meetings from 8.30 to 5.30 and I didn't do anything. I just talk about doing things. And um, you get to the end of the week and you're just exhausted. And you're like, what did I even do? And so making sure that I am keeping myself in check and keeping the right mindset, it's a, a battle that probably everybody struggles with, but in particular, I think I've always considered myself more of a negative person. And then I realized one day you don't have to see yourself that way, nor do you have to see everything in a pessimistic light. It's a defense mechanism, right? So if I just expect the worst or assume the worst, then what could happen, but anything a little bit better, it's not a good outlook. Um, and so I've, I've worked really hard over the last 12 years to retrain my brain, I'm very into neuroplasticity. I find it fascinating. I feel like if I was smart enough, I'd go back to school and, and study psychology. Um, it's just an incredible thing to think that everything you do slightly changes the future version of you. 
So if you continue to think negative thoughts, you will always go to a negative place because that's what the brain does. It rewires itself to follow these pathways it's familiar with. Um, and so that's probably been my biggest hurdle is just making sure I'm in the best place possible. And now that I oversee such a large number of people here, you know, they, they need me to show up in a positive mindset with, you know, clear thinking and the ability to, to stop what I'm doing and be there for them if they need me and not focus so much on all of the things that could go wrong, but rather everything that's going right. I love that you brought up neuroplasticity. <laughs> it's like my one nerd thing that I just am like totally enthralled by. Yeah. And it takes so much effort retraining your brain. It's, it's moment of moment after moment and, and how that moment impacts the next and being really conscious and cognizant of your thoughts and, and where they're headed. And, um, I, I, it's, it's such a great thing to point out. And if you're listening and you're at all curious, start Googling and there's podcasts on it. I mean, you'll, I'm sure you'll bite off as well. Um, because imagine if you could create a, use every moment to create a better future version of yourself, becoming more the person that you want to be. Right. I mean, it's just, if there's something you don't like about yourself, change it. It's that easy. It's literally like working out, right? You want to lose weight or you want a, a fitter body for whatever reason, or maybe you have a lot of back pain and you don't want to have back pain. Well, you can do that. The body is malleable. So is the brain. So if you don't like the way that you approach things, or you think I'm always so negative, well, fix it. It's going to take some work and it's going to take consistency, but you can change it. Right. Right. Reframing that thought, reframing that conversation. Um, it's, it's something you can do in every instance of every day. 100%. You have done a lot of public speaking as well. And I know that you've already spoken about how being a fitness instructor has really helped you grow as a, a public speaker, getting up in front of groups. Public speaking is one of the biggest fears that people have. What tips do you have um, for people to gain that courage and, and take their place behind the microphone? Um, I'm not going to say picture everyone naked because there's no way that has ever helped anyone ever. Um, you know, I think, so I've never been afraid of, of getting up in front of people. That's never been an issue for me. I, I remember actually taking a public speaking class in college and it was like the hardest class I'd ever taken because they forced you to think about it. I would say getting up, being prepared and rehearsing what you want to say, but not feeling the need to do it perfectly will take a lot of that pressure off of yourself that you probably don't even realize you're applying. Um, so when I used to give big presentations or trainings or, or anything like that, my, one of my, um, prior bosses named Jeff Berryhill, that guy is a perfectionist. So Jeff and I would sit and we'd practice and we'd practice and we'd practice until we couldn't get it wrong. And then we'd get up and it wouldn't be by the script, but we'd nail it every time. Um, and I learned a lot from that and, and all of those sitting in a, a hotel room at you know 8 a.m. with our coffee, getting ready for whatever we were doing for the day, just going back through just one more time, Mel, let's just go one more time through just to make sure we got this down. Um, but I actually learned a really interesting statistic about a month ago about the reaction that your body has to public speaking 
a lot of times people actually misinterpret because they assume that they're getting nervous. Um, the feeling of excitement or anticipation for nervousness or fear, because the physical reaction in your body is the exact same. So your heart rate speeds up, you might feel kind of like short of breath or, or um, a little jittery. And that is the same way the body reacts to being excited as it does to being scared. And so if you don't know any better and you just think of the stat that you shared where, you know, the majority of people that um, are good at public speaking probably at some point were afraid and didn't enjoy it at all, um, they may be misinterpreting their own physical reaction and creating something again, here's your brain, right? But creating something in their mind that's not actually real. You might actually just be like, I can't wait to get up there and share all this great information I have. And instead you're like, oh shit, am I nervous? And then you start second guessing yourself. Um, and so I, I found that really interesting as well, that like the, the physical reaction is the same, but how you interpret it or what you tell yourself may dictate how you actually get up on stage and perform or speak. Yeah. And that's another tip on the retraining your brain, like thinking about those reactions as excitement versus fear. How much different are you going to feel behind that microphone if you're thinking, okay, I'm not scared. I'm actually excited. Exactly. And like calm down brain. You're not scared. <laughs> exactly. You're happy. You're elated. <laughs> yeah. And then you get to deliver all this great information that you've worked so hard to prepare. You get to deliver that to the room. And that, that's been another big brain retraining moment for me is using the term get to instead of have to. That subtle nuance can make such a big difference. Like, oh, I have to walk the dog. No, you get to walk the dog. You get to go outside, get a breath of fresh air, take a break from your computer or, or your phone and you know, look at the blue sky around. See, this is how I could tell you're a fitness instructor, right? I bet you, I bet you use that all the time in class because I sure do. You yeah. get to use this body to work out, right? Nobody said you had to show up here. Yeah, you exactly. You showed up, let's do the work and you get to do the work. You have this able body that can do, do these movements. Like how lucky are we? Right. So have you ever felt imposter syndrome? Yes. Um, I'd say the I'd say all the time, actually. I think that's just something that a lot of, of people do, probably women as well. Um, but the the time I felt it the most was when I went into my first management job. So I was still a little younger. I was in my mid-20s. Yes, I had success as a sales rep, but I was still only four years into my career. And here I am telling people not that much younger than me how to do their jobs. I struggle with that a little bit. Um, and by a little bit, I mean a lot of it. So it took me a while to really get that confidence in being a leader. And then on top of that, I look young, I'm five foot. Um, and then I'm going into, when I was with MLS, these, these league meetings with people who are the same age as my dad, and I'm trying to tell them how they should manage their sales team. Um, not always the easiest thing to do, right? But at the end of the day, it's, it's very similar to what I was told as a sales rep. And what I, I tell our sales team now is, you know your product or your area of the business better than anyone. So even if you're sitting down across from a CEO who's your grandpa's age and telling you that he's not interested, you know that your product is right for his business and you can have confidence in telling him that. Um, and so it, 
And we'll just keep going back to the mental battle, right? But you just have to remind yourself that there's a reason why you're here. There's a reason why you're in this role or in this position to speak to people or whatever it is that you're doing where you're kind of getting that, like, should they take me seriously? Um, if you don't take yourself seriously, obviously everyone else in the room is going to indirectly read that and they're going to have a hard time with it. So it's, it's certainly a, a confidence battle at times. Um, but typically very similar to what you just said, like you don't end up somewhere if you're not supposed to be there. So if you've been asked to lead a, a training and you don't feel like you know more than the people in the room, well, you got asked to do it for a reason, right? You're up there. So just have that confidence in yourself and everybody has something they can learn from everybody. I think yeah. it was, everybody knows something that you don't is a Bill Nye quote, the science guy. So <laughs> if nothing else, you'll, you hopefully will leave one or two things with, with everybody that you interact with, regardless if you feel that imposter syndrome or not. Yeah. And I'm so happy you shared that specific instance of imposter syndrome, because going from, you know, employee or doer, to manager is such a big jump. And there's a lot of emotion tied up with, with going from a peer to, to going to a boss. And, you know, to your last point, like you got put there for a reason. So use your skill set and, and do the work. Absolutely. Have you experienced a tipping point in your career? Obviously there's one, like if you look at, at, at Melanie's LinkedIn, like soccer, 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 NBA, like maybe that's one, or is it, is it a role that, um, that you've had along the way that sort of tipped into the next, next level of your career? Another, I mean, I, I'd say that's probably similar to the hurdles opposed to having one big tipping point. I think there's been a lot of tipping points. Um, you know, I was very fortunate with all the opportunities I've had to have some pretty unique ones. Columbus, home state, so I'm from Ohio originally, um, having the opportunity to, to help grow soccer in the Columbus community in this historic stadium uh, with a really incredible group of people who I'm still very close with, to going out to Minnesota and, and getting to help run this national sales program um, that was extremely innovative and unique and interact with all the people that I did, especially as early in my career as I did to helping open or prepare to open. I did the dumb thing and left before the building actually opened. But when I was with Minnesota United, um, helping sell season tickets into a stadium that wasn't even built yet, which is very few people get to do that in their career period, much less that early on. And so all these unique different experiences that helped shape the background that I have that ultimately got me here with the Cavs, um, but you, you know, a lot of people would probably look on paper MLS to NBA, that's an upgrade. I was like, uh-uh, I am not leaving soccer. I always said that you would have to like pay me a million dollars to get me out of MLS. I'm so passionate about growing the sport. It's the only sport I honestly care about. Not a basketball person, don't care about basketball. Um, and it was, it was after I came here and interviewed and learned a little bit more just about the people, the story and took a, a step back and thought, okay, well, what is it that drives me about soccer? Part of it was the chip on my shoulder where the people that would tell me, yeah, soccer is never going to make it in this country. Um, I'd be like, yeah, okay. And I'd walk away, like kicking the ground, like I'll show you soccer is going to make it. 
there are a lot of, of uh, naysayers out there saying, well, the Cavs only ever saw success in selling out their building because they had LeBron. And I'm from Northeast Ohio. I'm from about an hour and a half away from, from Cleveland. I'm from Youngstown. And I'm like, all right, we'll show you. Because people of Northeast Ohio are loyal and we work hard. And everybody in this front office deserves the respect that they get. Heck yeah, the building was full when LeBron was here. It better be. Um, but, you know, we can continue to do that without LeBron. And then the team hasn't exactly done us any favors the last couple of years. And then a pandemic hit. And so it's been a way bigger challenge than I thought. Um, but it's the same level of just showing people that they're wrong about us. And I can say with full confidence, and this isn't a, a sales pitch or advertisement to our staff, but this is the best team I've ever been a part of. We have such a good sales team here. And especially coming out of a pandemic or in the middle of a pandemic still. Um, they work hard, we're like a family. Everybody has the same goal and we just continue to find ways to figure it out. Um, and that stems from the top down. And so very, very grateful to be here. Um, you know, will I be in the NBA forever and not go back to soccer? Time, time will tell. I think my heart will always lie with soccer, but God, am I passionate about the growth of, of this team and Northeast Ohio as a whole and just everything we're doing here in Cleveland. That's so awesome. And it shows, I mean, you can, I knew you were an athlete growing up, but it's, it's in your nature that, that competition, that win mentality. And that's really what's propelled your career forward is, uh, is staying competitive, but this time in the workplace and against those sales goals and, and having a competitive team, uh, you know, on the phones and in and, and email telling people, you've got to be a part of this. So I, I just, I love that. And now is the time of the interview, the final four questions. See, I told you about the number four and it doesn't necessarily have to do with, uh, with basketball. Um, <laughs> first question, what's your best piece of advice for women today so that they can level up tomorrow? So, yeah, there's a lot. I would say that the most important thing is to stop looking at yourself as a, as a female in a room full of males if that's your case. Um, you know, I've, I've worked on teams where I'm the only female and I work in a front office now that's actually pretty well balanced and there's everything in between, right? And that can change as people come and go and, and departments and teams shift. Um, but the second you start looking at it, like, well, I'm the only female in the room or I bring the, the female's perspective is when you've put yourself in your own box that you don't want anyone else to put you in. Um, it's, I think the, the most limiting thing that women can do is be like, well, I'm a female in sports. And that's, I helped start the wives chapter in the Twin Cities. I think it's extremely important to support women and get more women into sports. Um, but I think it's more important than anything to get a, a diverse group of, of thinkers, regardless of gender, race, background, where you come from, nationality. Like, I don't care. Just get a bunch of diverse thoughts in a room. And that's when you really start to see the magic happen. Uh, yeah, absolutely. hundred percent. And it's, it's why the, it's, it seems contradictory or counterintuitive to, to, to create groups like wise or the leadership is female podcast, but this is the very reason why we're doing it is so that we can lend these tips, support advice so that you don't have to feel like you're the only woman in the room. So you don't have to put yourself in a box that you don't want to necessarily be in and you can be empowered to be part of the whole team and seize the next opportunity. So I love that. 
What is your favorite place to travel? Well, this is going to sound very odd, but my entire life, uh, my family and I have been going to a YMCA summer camp. Um, it's, it's outside of Erie, Pennsylvania. We started going when I was three. I am now 35 and we still go. It's all the same families um, for what they call family camp. So the, the intent is have the parents come out as like the counselors and you stop coming when your kids grow up. And then all these families started going together and we just couldn't stop. And now there's a bunch of grandkids that come. And, um, so that's always been the family tradition as long as I can remember. Um, and so that's probably my favorite vacation, but travel wise, I just, I love going new places. My uh, two college roommates and I just randomly, we, we try to pick a new city every year that we've never been to. Obviously the pandemic's kind of limited that, but a couple of years ago we were just like, none of us have been to Utah. We went to Salt Lake and I would go back to Utah for a month. It was gorgeous. Um, and so there, and we hiked a mountain that was way above our skill level and all wanted to die, but still laugh about it. It's a great memory. Um, so I think just traveling in general, I, that's this last year has been really tough because I would love to, to just get out and see more. Um, but anywhere that I haven't been is on my bucket list, which leaves a lot. That's awesome. What is your pump up song? I'm sure you got a million. And another embarrassing fact about me, on top of the fact that I still did a summer camp at age I 35. I loved professional wrestling as a kid. So anytime we do anything in the office, my coworker Scott and I both do this, but the uh, Stone Cold Steve Austin theme song is such a good one. Oh, I love <laughs> it. I love it. All right. And final question. What is your favorite quote? It's a short one, um, but it's it's always stuck with me and it, it's work hard and be nice to people. And I think there's a lot you can you can take out of that short sentence, but I've found throughout life and over the course of, of my career is if you do those two things, you're, you're probably doing the right things. Um, the one thing I will say is you can dissect both of those. There's a difference between appearing to work hard and, and doing effective work. And then being nice doesn't necessarily mean that you can't use your voice. And, you know, we could, we could go down a whole path, but I, I think a lot of women are feared to speak up because they don't want to appear combative. Um, and so being nice doesn't necessarily mean silencing your voice. It means respecting other people. It means approaching situations um, with empathy and just an objective approach and making sure that you're not coming out feeling like you need to be combative because you are a female. And so I always try to keep those two things in mind is if I just work really hard and I treat other people well, hopefully my career will continue to grow and people will enjoy working with me too. Because what's the enjoyment of, of working this hard and working this many hours if you walk in a room and everyone's like, oh God, here comes Mel. Don't make eye contact or you'll melt. <laughs> You know, you, we get into sales because we want to make other people feel good and, and have enjoyable experiences in a game. And it should be the same way with your coworkers. Agree 100%. And uh, what, a, what a perfect and succinct quote to end the episode. Mel, it's been an absolute pleasure getting to know you. Thank you so much for sharing your voice with the Leadership is Female audience. 
Yeah, thank you so much for having me on. This was this was great. Let's get into the top four takeaways. Number one, be the brick wall, not someone who can talk to a brick wall. Sales is more about listening more than you speak. Number two, think of sales as a tree. The trunk is the script, and as you move up the trunk of the tree, asking questions, moving towards close, explore the branches. The branches are questions and can lead to more discovery and camaraderie with your prospect. Number three, have a thing. Everyone needs a thing outside of work so that you don't lose yourself in this industry. How do you find your thing? By exploring and trying new things. Number four, your biggest hurdle might just be yourself. Are you overthinking it? Get refocused and keep your mindset in check. Retrain your brain to behave and think the way you want it to. Thank you for listening to the Leadership is Female podcast. It means the world to me that you chose to spend your time with this podcast today. If you like this episode, subscribe, share, and review. What can you do today to lead her forward? We will do our part to lead her forward because leadership is female. Thank you for joining us. This podcast was recorded and edited by Emily Jansen, public relations by Paige Hegedus, and distributed by Anchor FM.